Hey, super friends, my name is Neil and welcome to episode 55 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of comic book, film and TV goodness direct from our studio to your speakers. I am, of course, joined by my very own boy wonder, Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. How is Martin today? He is reasonable. Reasonable? What does that mean? Well, it means reasonable, doesn't it? Okay, then. Fair enough. It's like when you buy something in a shop. It's reasonable. You want to pay any more for it. It's a reasonable price. <laughs> so you're referring to yourself as reasonably priced? Well, no, I'm saying I'm in a reason, reasonable mood. Oh, right. Okay. Well, Mo- Move on. <laughs> move on. You've got a cat having a bath underneath you right now. Yeah, it's not me licking myself. <laughs> Are you going to be able to tell the lovely listeners at home what's coming up on this week's show? No, because we've dismantled the room. I know. The whiteboard so, is gone. After last week's aberration by which boy wonder was able to tell you what was coming up in the episode he now can't because our studio is being redecorated at this very moment in time the whiteboard is on the floor but thankfully i can see it and we have one wall that has a lovely shade of nutmeg i mean it's slightly off white (laughs) after 14 months of working from home we both got fed up of sitting in a white box so now we're sitting in a slightly off-white box So coming up this week, we are going to round up some of the latest news, including uh, some changing release dates, some new directors hired for some exciting projects, and some exciting new projects announced. Then we're going to hop over to some quick reviews. So I'm going to chat about two films that I've watched recently. We've got Psycho Gorman, which is available to stream now on Shudder, and Spiral, which is available in cinemas worldwide. Martin, you're going to talk about Nightwing, which is a comic book you've been reading and catching up on recently. And then we're quickly going to round up what we thought of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is available now on Netflix. Then I thought we'd round out the show with a new feature. New feature alert. New feature alert. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I don't know what that was. Uh, Recommendations to watch, read. I just made a note of some things that I don't think we've got time to review, but I thought I would recommend that people should give a a watch to. Oh, I don't have to do that, do I? Yeah. Okay. Now... Not right now, no. Oh, okay. I will uh, forewarn you by saying this is our recommendations feature. I thought that was now. I did the noise and everything. No, that was just us saying that we're doing a new feature, oh, which okay. is recommendations. Yeah, retract the noise. <laughs> On to the news. Zack Snyder's Justice League is out now on Blu-ray, DVD and 4K in the UK. Uh, As we're recording this, it is out tomorrow. By the time you are listening to this, it is out now. The film has a number of different versions. There are some really nice steelbooks that are out there from Zavi that you can pick up. It's split over a couple of discs, so it's worth noting that on the Blu-ray edition, the film stops at around an hour and a half when Darkseid first appears to Steppenwolf via the melty intercom thing and says to you for more justice please put in the second disc so the film is split like the old school Lord of the Rings extended editions were on DVD it also only has uh, one bonus feature on there so there is the uh, 25 minute Zack Snyder documentary that's available on the digital editions of both Zack Snyder's Justice League and Batman vs Superman at the moment if you want to catch the 
building a scene feature or Justice is Grey, then you do need to pick up the digital edition. When that was released a couple of weeks ago, those features were missing, but both Justice is Grey and Building a Scene have now been added to the iTunes edition at the very least, so they're now in my account and I have them, which is great news because they did seem to be missing to begin with. So run out, pick up your copy of Zack Snyder's Justice League now. Universal Pictures has announced that it is moving up the release date of Fast and Furious 9, or Fast 9, or F9, as the title keeps getting shorter. It will now be releasing in UK cinemas on June the 24th. It was originally slated to release on July the 8th, but has been moved up, which is very exciting. I say that, but I haven't seen any other than Fast and Furious, as in the first one. I haven't even seen the first one. I feel like we should give this a chance. People say it's really entertaining. Do you need to have watched the previous eight to have an understanding of what's going on? I don't know. Maybe. You probably need to understand who the characters are. I mean, we could probably Google it. I mean. If you're listening to this and you are fully versed in the world of Fast and Furious and you'd like to help us catch up, send us your pitch on social media. If you can fit it into a tweet, exactly what we need to know about Fast and Furious to catch up ready for F9 then then let us know it's something like they're all fast and they're very angry yeah I don't have a prize or anything to give you but maybe we'll dig out like some stickers and some badges for the person who comes up with the wittiest shortest way of telling us what happens in the Fast and Furious franchise on Twitter at Get Your Comic Con the fastest and the furious the most fast and furious answer we'll see what we can dig up Okay, some exciting Warner Brothers DC news. Uh, the Batgirl movie, which has been in some state of development for a number of years now, originally written by, I know, don't boo, but Joss Whedon, who has been not involved with the project for a very long time, was working on it back around the time he was working on Justice League. But since Whedon stepped away from the project and it all went kind of quiet, we now know that a new version of the script has been written by Christina Hodson. If that name is familiar to you, she wrote Bumblebee. She also wrote uh, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn for DC and has written the shooting script for Andy Machete's The Flash, which is currently in production. But the film has also picked up a a pair of directors in Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falal, who have just both finished production on Marvel Studios and Disney Plus's Miss Marvel. No idea yet when Batgirl is going to go into production. No casting news or anything for this yet. We do know that it's going to go to HBO Max and it's going to be one of these premiere the character in a kind of streaming entity and then see if she can translate to the big screen later on as well. Thoughts on this, Boy Wonder? Um, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm happy for it. It'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Nice to see a new member of the Bat family getting some big screen treatment. We obviously also have uh, Barbara Gordon coming to Titans this season as well. So some some nice exposure for um, both the small screen and the big screen. All the screens. All the screens in uh, in live action form. Really looking forward to this. I hope they do something quite magical with it. It's being produced by Kristen Burr, who is one of the producers of Disney's Cruella. And there's a quote from her where she says, With Batgirl, we hope to take the audience on a fun ride and see a different side of Gotham. Christina's script is crackling with spirit. Adil and Bilal have an excited and joyous energy, which is infectious, making them the perfect filmmakers for this Bat project. And I'm psyched to be a part of the DC Universe, which is super cool. Super cool. We'll keep you posted on that one. It's going to be a really exciting project to follow, I think, and I look forward to seeing everything that can come from this. Costume designs, 
what Gotham is it set in? Is it tied to any other projects? Is it a very standalone project? We have all of this exciting stuff to come. Last up this week is some very exciting news for Boy Wonder here with the confirmation that Disney is moving ahead with a sequel to Hocus Pocus. Ooh. Aptly titled Hocus Pocus 2. How original. Yes. The news was confirmed on May the 20th in a press release which confirmed that Betty Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimi will reprise their roles as the delightfully wicked Sanderson sisters. So Hocus Pocus 2 is about to go into production later this year and will premiere on Disney Plus in 2022. I do realise it's Bette Midler, but it's just funny because for some reason Alexa always says Betty. Who was it that called her Betty once? I remember I was being somewhere and someone said, oh, I love Betty Midler. I don't know. I, I don't remember being in a room having a conversation about Betty Midler. Well, How do you feel about Hocus Pocus going back for another round? I mean, I'm always ready for it. I think it may be a bit sad, though, because they're older now, aren't they? It's like when we watched the clip for the Friends um, reunion, I was like, oh, it's sad because they're all a bit older now. So there is a brief synopsis for Hocus Pocus 2, as well as a logo treatment. The brief synopsis says, In Hocus Pocus 2, three young women accidentally bring the Sanderson sisters back to modern-day Salem and must figure out how to stop the child-hungry witches from wreaking havoc on the world. With three young women this time. Yes. I wonder how to bring them back. Does it end the book? I don't know. It just says Hocus Pocus 2 will begin production this fall under the direction of Anne Fletcher, who worked on 27 Dresses and The Proposal, who is taking over directing responsibilities from her friend and colleague Adam Shankman, who uh, directed Hairspray and The Wedding Planner, with Lynn Harris of The Shallows serving as producer. Shankman is currently in production on Disenchanted for the studio, which he is directing, but will remain on this project as an executive producer. I'm going to presume, but don't know off the top of my head, that Shankman directed the original. I couldn't tell you. I wonder if they'll bring back the kids from the old one as a sort of cameo as well, if they're still living in the area. Rumours of this one have been rumbling for a very, very long time. There's been a lot of Hocus Pocus rumours for for a very long time. Yeah, but everybody said it was just a bunch of Hocus Pocus. Funny. But then, I mean, this film was not critically well received at the time, and it wasn't particularly big hit at the box office but look at the cultural phenomenon it is now oh, it's such a good film though don't sing why <clears throat> why <laughs> why <laughs> yeah, just, i just know how much you love that film it's a good film it's a halloween uh, tradition in this house to watch hocus pocus is it not it's halloween law you heard it here first it's halloween law you must watch hocus pocus let us know what you think about this one because it is it's quite uh, divisive news this one and there are a lot of people that feel like you shouldn't touch it because it is a cult classic and others who are excited to see what more they can do so let us know your opinion you can find us on social media twitter at get your comic on and at get your comic on on instagram as well that's it for the news this week let us roll in to some reviews <laughs> First review for this episode is an absolutely wonderful film for which I saw the trailer a long time ago but hadn't had an opportunity to watch the film itself until one came up from the lovely team at Shudder who we've been working with quite a lot recently and that is the horror comedy Psycho Gorman. Film is available to stream now. It came out on May the 20th. It's written and directed by Stephen Kostansky and it stars... Nita Josie Hanna as Mimi, Owen Meyer as Luke, 
Matthew Nineveh as Psycho Gorman, the, the physical entity, and Stephen Vlahos as Psycho Gorman, the voice. I probably pronounced that wrong, in which case I'm really sorry. It also stars Adam Brooks as Greg, Alexis, Cara Hansi as Susan, sorry, the cat walked in front of the screen as I was trying to read that one, and Kristen McCullough as Pandora slash Queen Obelisk slash Alistair's mum. The voice of Pandora is Anna Tierney, and Human Pandora was played by Roxine Latoya Plummer. A short synopsis for this one reads, After unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. I've watched this film a couple of times. You kind of half got to see this film while I was watching it at one point. What were your thoughts on what you saw from Psycho Gorman? Um, it was a bit nuts. Like, really nuts. Like, Power Rangers for adults on speed nuts. It's freaking brilliant. And I can say that because uh, that word is used a lot in the film and its marketing. And I even have a mug that says Frig Off. Thanks to the wonderful marketing team for this film. It is insane. What Steve Kostansky has come up with is just unadulterated pure horror genius fun. It's like a midnight monster horror movie. It's that purposefully low budget, knows it's low budget, works with it absolutely batshit crazy just wonderful wonderful filmmaking i even said in my review that i wasn't really sure that there were any words in existence to describe psycho gorman because it's just so awesome it's just awesome it was just nuts the, I, I, it's so difficult to even know where to begin just because i almost don't know where to start because it's just so difficult to un- not understand, <laughs> to describe. I kind of don't want to say too much about it because it feels like the kind of film journey that you should discover for yourself. I almost wish I'd gone into it not seeing the trailer and then I would have been totally blown away, but obviously I had some expectations. The costume design and the special effects makeup is just brilliant. It's so well done. Uh, PG himself looks insane. He's quite imposing on screen, but also hilarious. And then some of the other creatures are very rubbery and very cardboardy in that Power Rangers thing, like you just said, which is, I totally agree, is is on purpose uh, and <laughs> looks hilarious. And then it just escalates from like nuts to lots of nuts. Lots of nuts. <laughs> Given that you didn't see the whole thing, is it something that you reckon you'd go back and watch? Um, I don't. Maybe. I mean, if it was on, I would watch it. Good, I'm going to make sure that it's on at some point. Okay, yeah. I mean, I feel like you're slightly biased because you've got a bit of a special relationship with Senko Gorman. <laughs> so there is a um, a joke in the film where, where Psycho Gorman is, is looking at some hunky boys and it's sort of a, it's become an in-joke in the film about Psycho Gorman and his hunky boys. And when I tweeted about watching it, the official Psycho Gorman <laughs> Twitter account added my personal uh, so my at Neil Vag Twitter to his list of hunky boy twi- tweeters. <laughs> I am officially one of Psycho Gorman's hunky boys, and yes, I do have a door hanger that also says it. Thank you very much. He sent me a, a, a you know a gift to say thank you for my support. What I do think is important to say about it though is uh, when you when you kind of watch that trailer or you look at some of the artwork for it, and even listening to probably some of the stuff that we've just said, it maybe doesn't sound like. A film that necessarily has um what's the, i don't know how i'm trying to describe it it 
what I want to say is it does have a story and it there is there is a narrative to it there is a you know a defined beginning middle and end there is a story that the characters go on there is a really well realized backstory to the the alien characters so pg himself as well as the uh, planetary alliance of people who are after him as well there is it's not just campy horror for the sake of campy horror there is still a slightly more contemporary sense of storytelling to it that you maybe don't get in some of the sort of 80s and 90s films of that ilk as well ooh ilk Hmm. I just mean that if you relate it back to some of the sort of 80s and 90s films like Toxic Avenger, uh, maybe not that specific example, but some of the films of that era from um, Trauma Entertainment is the studio I'm looking for. Uh, some of the some of the films from them, you can maybe look back at and think of them as being a kind of body horror, shock value, fluff piece. This isn't that. It has some of the elements of that, but has lots of elements of storytelling as well. Just trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about this uh, without ruining your journey of discovery with with Psycho Gorman. Oh, soundtrack. Soundtrack to this is brilliant. It's so synthy 80s and also sort of early 90s. Like cheesy rap. Almost like Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go style kind of music in the end credits, which is just so worth sticking around to listen to. Touch of vanilla ice. Yes, thank you. I was going to say iced tea, and I was thinking that's not right, is it? No, yeah, it's it vanilla rice. Yeah, I suppose he's a bit more serious rap, isn't he? It's also really well acted by all the cast. Actually, it's worth pointing out that as much as I find her, Mimi really annoying, uh, Nita Josie Hannah does a really really good job, and Owen Myers. There's the the, the brother sister relationship between the two of them is really really good. And I'd like to have a game of crazy ball. I'm going to leave it there. And Psycho Gorman is available to stream now on Shudder globally. I was going to talk about Spiral right now, but because you're so easily distracted by the cat, I'm going to throw it over to you to talk about Nightwing. So tell us a bit about Tom Taylor's Nightwing, which began back in issue 78. Do I need to synopsize this for the listeners at home before you take over? Oh, have you got me synopsi ready? Uh, so issue 78 is Nightwing is back and his drive to keep Bloodhaven safe has never been stronger. But his adopted city has elected a, and he said escalated, elected a new mayor with the last name Zuko. When Nightwing enlists Batgirl's help in investigating the politician bearing the same name as the man who murdered his parents, she unearths details that will shock and fundamentally change the hero. The New York Times best-selling team of writer Tom Taylor of Deceased and Injustice and artist Bruno Redondo of Injustice and Suicide Squad are about to take Nightwing to the next stage of his evolution as a hero. Over to you, Boy Wonder. Over to me. They're going to do like those like, weird swishy arms. I was going to, but I didn't want to hit the microphone. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, what can I say about this one? I... Have you read all three issues so far? So 78, 79, 80? No, I've read 78 and 79. Okay. Why? Just I just asking. Okay. I thought they were going to ask my question about 80. Like, I've not no, no, I wasn't sure whether you were going to talk to us about all three or just uh, what you... Or I didn't know what you had read so far. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. It just happens. Okay. Just words come out. Been on the whiteboard for two weeks, just can point out. But you know I don't read it, so... Continue with Nightwing. Yes, yeah, so I read the first two. Um, I'll read the second one tomorrow on my commute to the office. Third one. Third one. That's what I said. Did I say second one? Uh-huh. I'll read the, I'll read the third one tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't say too much. <laughs> because you're not prepared. Because I'm not prepared. Um, I will, I'll give you my general feelings of reading this as a, a reader uh-huh. and a fan of the Night of Wing. Uh-huh. It felt... Like, it felt like coming back home 
to okay. like a warm comfortable familiar thing like an old blanket i know it sounds weird but stay with me so if you if you hark back to the the good old day well i say the, the classic days like the chuck taylor chuck dixon days not chuck taylor that's, that's pair of shoes. yeah <laughs> chuck dixon days of night like the 90s night wing where he, he goes to bloodhaven he sort of established himself he takes down his first supervillain a blockbuster and all that stuff this is very much rooted in all of that so he goes back to his original loft that he got in the original series well the old series by chuck taylor by chuck taylor yeah good pair of shoes um and then blockbuster's back again we've got the connections to zuko you've got a bit of barbara in there it's this very familiar of you know the good times of of nightwing and dick grayson really not saying that there's been bad times but we've had interest in times. He's gone through a... It feels like they've not really known what to do with some of the last sort of... Yeah, I do think that the whole Rick Grayson thing, as much as it actually ended up paying off in quite an interesting way, and I did enjoy, I think, that arc slightly lulled in the middle and then picked up again at the end, it's nice to come out the the rear end of that and um, um... have this new version that feels much more like a classic Nightwing. So I have read 78 and 79. I haven't read 80 either. Yeah, because I mean, it's, I don't know what it is about his character. It's almost like they've just not quite got it right in a way. Mm, yeah, he hasn't felt like Dick for a while. Sorry, I'm don't not... giggle just because I said Dick. <laughs> yeah, so I I agree. It feels like we're coming back to the true essence of who he is as a character. The true essence of Dick. The true essence of Dick. It feels like the true essence of Dick, and how we're going to see that grow and progress in the future. You want to tell us about how you, you see Dick grow? Well, I mean, he's on a journey, isn't he? Yes. We saw some nice links back to Alfred and that special yes. relationship. That, that was really I actually good. have to say, in the, in the first couple of issues, I did feel the, the relationship with Alfred was a real strong presence in this version of the story. It was, yeah. So I'm really excited for this run, and I hope it's got good things to come. I love the fact that he's uh, teamed up Barbara for this arc as well, because I love having Barbara and Dick together. I would agree. They've got a very nice chemistry, but it's interesting to see how that's going to play off because we're seeing little hints of that in Titans Academy. Okay. I'm kind of forgetting that he's in that as well at the moment. So does that happen kind of concurrently time-wise? What's happening there? So it pretty much does. So in the, I was going to say episode two, but it's not really episodes, is it book two or issue two? Mm -hmm. Um, So he's got, he's rekindled his relationship with Starfire. Right. Um, And at the end of that, he says he has to go back to Bloodhaven for a bit. Um, but he can do both, he says. He can manage both roles. Uh, okay. Oh, God. So he's got um, he's got Babs in Nightwing and he's got Corey in Titans Academy. Yeah. So I think the line he said was, oh, I can manage both. And then there's a lot of cuts to Starfire saying, yes, I worry that you can. <laughs> um, in reference to, to Babs. I, I, now, don't shoot me down here, listeners or you, but I am team uh, Babs and Dick. Rather than Corey and Dick. Ooh. And why is that, do you think? Cause let's, let's, let's unpick that. Um, How does it make you feel? I guess because I'm not a Titans reader. And wasn't a Titans fan until the Teen Titans cartoon. So that was what... That was around the time of the Batman. So I'm already at uni by this point. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit older. All of my teenage growing up comic book reading was... Barbara... And Dick, really. That was my... They're, 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 so they're just my OG couple. And to be fair, 
we it might surprise some of the listeners at home to know this but batman being my favorite character is it uh, i am also very fond of nightwing and batgirl is one of my favorite bat family members as well so whereas again titans is something that i've come to later in life so whilst i respect the relationship that dick has with Corey, i will always be team babs team babs interesting that's an interesting little discussion point if you want to tweet team babs or team Corey. Yes, uh, you do it well. It would be interesting to know what, what side people land on. Maybe be a bit more specific when you say Team Babs. I don't mean you could like drum up like a Barbara Windsor type thing. Well, it would be um, like Team Dick Babs or Team Dick Corey. Oh, that's... Ooh. <laughs> Look, Titans is coming back in August, which means we'll be talking a lot about Dick. and So we have to get used to not giggling about it. I didn't giggle. It was your face. Whenever I say it, you've got that face of say, he, he just said Dick. <laughs> Right, back to the comic book. It's like whenever I say Lake Titicaca. <laughs> right, please, can we talk about the comic book? I'm trying here, but you're just being so childish. Well, we're talking comic book. Yeah, so it's good. I would read it. I mean... You are reading it. That's well, why I mean, you're talking about it. About if I was the listeners, I would be like, I'm going to read that. Um, what about the Zuko story? How is that unfolding for you? So Blockbuster's at the heart of that. Um, so he kills off the mayor because it's Blockbuster City. It's all he ha- it always... It's always been Blockbuster City, and the deputy mayor is Zuko's daughter. Well, I think it's his daughter. It's a female Zuko, so we assume that's her daughter. So she's taken over the big role as the new mayor. So, it, again, it's nice to kind of hark back to those very classic, you know, very mob rule. Yeah, there's a Maroni in there. It's, it's hitting all those storylines that I enjoyed the most, the gangsters, the organised crime type things. So a real good villain to put him up against. I would agree with you from my slightly less evolved understanding of the character and his history than yours. Uh, it feels like a very suitable Nightwing story and I am satisfied with what I have read so far. Very good, yeah. Almost kind of brings it back to like Long Halloween where you've got the Maronis, you've got the Zuko. Yeah, true. Yeah, it does have a bit of that about it, doesn't it? You had him at the heart of it, but as a Robin, not as Nightwing. So... What about the artwork? I love the covers. The covers of this run are absolutely outstanding, which is, uh, so it's also, the main covers are also by Bruno Redondo. Yeah, I would frame them, actually. Yeah, they are. The first issue with uh, the cityscape being in blue, making up the the chest plate Nightwing logo is just absolutely stunning. That's a delight to my eye. Hmm, certainly is. So then the second issue was him reaching out across the, the skyline in a kind of acrobatic move with quite a pink... A saccharine background and he's reaching out and uh, Barbara's hand is reaching towards him in her Batgirl costume. Oh, interesting, yeah. The cover for issue 80, which came out this week, is quite an interesting one because it's him over what looks like a kind of chalk outline of a dead body with a hole where the heart should be and then he appears to have some kind of very, very circular cutout heart, which obviously ties into one of the, the villains in this arc as well. It does. It's very... um. 80s slash sort of spiral-esque with that sort of mm. neon circle But we don't want to go back to an Agent 37 type. Spiral leading us into the film that I'm about to talk about as well. Oh, being look at also that. Called spiral. Seamless, like I planned it. Anything else that you want to say about Nightwing's current run? No, I mean, I think really enjoying it. So pick it up if you don't already pick it up. Where can they pick it up? They can pick it up wherever they buy comics, wherever they're sold, all those good places. Isn't it? You can buy it now where all good comics are sold. Well, it went for a different angle. Didn't quite have the same panache. I now actually say uh, you can pick this up in print and on digital now where all good comics are sold. Oh, well, do that then. (laughs) 
thank you very much for your your thoughts on Nightwing. We'll have to pick that up later in the arc and see how it's going, I think. So the Saw franchise is back in cinemas with its ninth film, Spiral, available in cinemas globally now. It brings a slightly new twist to the franchise as it takes on more of a psychological crime thriller angle, but brings back director Darren Lynn Bozeman, writers Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, and stars Chris Rock, Max Minghella, Samuel L. Jackson, Marisol Nichols, Dan Petrovinich, and Richard Zapiri. You haven't seen this yet because you are not really a horror person, as listeners of this podcast will know, but I have subjected you to a complete Saw franchise rewatch, which you have uh, had the pleasure of listening to as I've been watching it, because I've turned the screen away, but you've heard the screams of bloody horror. Yeah, it's not been an enjoyable experience because you do watch them uh, incredibly early in the day, like eight o'clock when I'm just about to sit at the desk. To do eight o'clock work. in the morning is just perfect torture porn time. It's it's not though, is it? I'm just trying to start ease into the day, and I just hear these like cries for help and people getting flayed and fed bits of things and oh no too early it's been interesting re-watching the franchise because if you go back to the first Saw film which is now something like 17 years ago that film does have quite a pronounced storyline which lasts through what I would call the first kind of trilogy the the Saw 1, Saw 2, Saw 3 and then I feel like from the third one onwards it does get that I hate to use the term because I know they're kind of fed up and trying to cast off the shackles of it but it does get that torture porn kind of rep from Saw 4 onwards and then picks up the storyline again towards the end and then you get Jigsaw which is kind of a prequel sequel which was the last film before this. That last film was released in 2017 so there's been four years since the last film and now things are taking on a slightly different angle with what they're doing here with Spiral. So rather than it being a character that wakes up in the middle of one of Jigsaw's kind of life traps at the games, this is now told from the point of view of a group of cops who are investigating a serial killer. It also isn't Jigsaw. We are in the world that Jigsaw exists in. We've moved on from uh, where he passed away now by a good sort of 10, 12 years. So this is a killer who is inspired by Jigsaw and mirrors his work, but for their own intentions. So what draw you to this one? What did you like about it? I liked the new angle it was very it was very cool to do something very different it felt very inspired by films like um seven in a way seven really sprung to mind quite a few times whilst i was watching this i also liked how they approached making the film differently so a lot of the saw films were shot i guess digitally uh, particularly the 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 last saw titled film which was saw 3d also known as Saw the Final Chapter, uh, now no longer available in 3D and also is not the final chapter, which is slightly awkward. But this felt more cinematic. They often felt very, very enclosed because they were always in the warehouse or wherever it was where the victims were being kept. And whilst there is that kind of, that kind of scope and that horror to it, uh, this film feels more kind of classic cinema, which again echoes the kind of Zodiac Killer or... Um, seven sort of feel to it i liked what did i like about it i liked a lot about it there is a lot to like about it there are still some predictable moments in the storyline but i I just i think the easiest way to explain it is that if you were to look at this as a crime thriller you'd probably say it was fairly generic but if you look at this as a saw film it's quite revelatory in how different it is and that's what i am drawn to most about it is the fact that it is similar to fans of the saw franchise but also 
very fresh, which you need after eight films. I mean, it's hard to keep something like that fresh, but... Mm. Yeah, definitely. Other than, you know, fresh body parts. <laughs> yeah, which actually there is probably slightly less of here. They, Because they've got that new angle of coming at it from the, the police, it's, it's not so heavily focused on the torture. That is the bits that they have to piece together in trying to find out who the serial killer is. So it's used, it's utilised better. It's not just in your face for the entire runtime of the film. So what didn't you like about this one? Um, there were some predictable moments. There were some very, uh, there was some very on the nose signposting. So Chris Rock's character. I mean, it's interesting that it's Chris Rock anyway because he is known as a comedian, and this is obviously a very serious film. He does and is able to bring some comedy to it, which works. But his character is the typical cop that's not in favour with the rest of the cops because he's the one not bent cop. And so very early in the film, there is a, a lot of the backstory as to why he's fallen out of favour with the rest of his precinct is, is told in flashbacks. But he he very early on has an argument with uh, the captain of his unit, uh, Angie, played by Marisol Nichols. And it's very much like the... It just signposts and tells you everything. Like, you leave their conversation knowing no one likes him. He doesn't think that he can trust anybody in his unit and that he doesn't play by the rules and therefore is not in favour with the captain who thinks he's a good officer but also thinks that he just doesn't do what she needs him to do. So it's a little bit it's a little bit obvious in terms like that and also there is a kind of a fake out in terms of who the serial killer is and it points you very directly at someone in a if you don't think about it too much while you're watching it you're going to go well it's obvious it's this person and then at the end you're like oh it's this person like double switcheroony yeah which I, I can appreciate that they didn't want to hand it to you on a plate as to who it was but I just think they spent a little bit too much time making it obvious who they wanted you to think it was which made it obvious that it probably wasn't going to be that person if that makes sense uh, I think so yeah and do you think there's got there's a bit of life left in this franchise, or is what eight films, nine films, just this a is bit nine. nine? Is that too much, or can we get a tenth? They leave it in a way that there is more to be told, but I'm not a hundred percent sure where they would take it next. There is definitely some political undertones to this, with it being that the serial killer is focusing on corrupt cops so although it doesn't kind of play the the race card which is obviously very fresh in people's minds in america it does play with the the kind of american perception of law enforcement and how they are not necessarily seen as the shining white knights that they should be and that that politics is definitely playing into it and i just i'm not quite sure how you spin that out next, but then you could probably have said that back at around Saw 2 or 3 and look how they're doing, so who knows? But there's there's definitely a little bit more life in it, and this angle definitely, I think, will allow them to do something interesting and fresh for a little while longer. Okay. 
So would you recommend this as a... I actually would recommend this. I do think that if you are a fan of crime thrillers, then there is a lot to enjoy. If you're a fan of Saw films, then there is a new approach to be appreciated. Although I wonder what kind of the diehard fans of, again, the term I don't wish to keep banging on about, but torture porn will feel about it. If you really dug that grindhouse gore of the original franchise... I'm not sure that this will hold your interest quite as much, but on a different level of enjoyment, there is there is a lot to get out of this film. And do you have to have seen the previous eight films? No, you don't. Uh, there are no characters that carry over. There is only a vague idea and inspiration from Jigsaw that carries over. So any any functioning knowledge of who he was will will help. And not even intimate working knowledge of him and the fact that he had cancer and that he died, yada, yada, yada. Just knowing that there was a killer called Jigsaw and what he did to people is enough. Okay, grand. So as I said at the top of this segment, Spiral is available in cinemas globally now. Last film for this episode, we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which is currently available to stream on Netflix. Written and directed by Zack Snyder, the film stars Dave Bautista, Ella Pennell, Amari Hardwick, Anna de la Rogera, Theo Rossi, Matthias Schweighofer, I probably pronounced that wrong and I'm really sorry, Nora Arnezada, Haruyuki Sanada, Garrett Dillahunt, Tig Nataro, Raul Castillo, Huma Qureshi, Samantha Wynn, Richard Catrone, and Michael Cassidy. Following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. Well, this has been quite a hyped movie for a little while now. We've seen trailers for this, we've heard Slack Snyder talk a lot about this film, we know that he kind of kicked off his directing career with a zombie movie and this was him kind of going back to his roots. So, here it is, Army of the Dead, it is now with us. It's received a positive but slightly mixed re- uh, reception from critics. What did you think? I thought it was okay. Yeah. But you could tell it was Snyder. <laughs> Do you mean there was an intense amount of uh, slow songs and slow-mo? Yes, and it didn't really... I don't think it needed to be two and a half hours long. So it's two hours and 28 minutes long, which I do think is quite long for a zombie film, and it did feel quite long. There were a couple of subplots which I felt they could have lost to streamline the the runtime of the film. Do you know what I honestly think about this film? I think the thing that lets this film down for me is that I felt like a lot of the ideas that are in here, and there are a lot of ideas... They didn't feel like points in the plot which were which were there that naturally birthed the opportunity to tell more stories in this world. I felt like this film was made knowing there would be other films and other avenues of exploration in this world and that therefore there are a lot of plot points written into this planned for offshoots. Does that make sense? It's like a world builder. Yeah. I I just I I don't feel wholly satisfied by this story because I feel like this story was telling me this is what happens when you go to Las Vegas. But you're gonna see this, which is gonna be in this anime, and this which will be in this prequel, and this which will be in this comic book. And it didn't it didn't feel like I guess because they announced so much of this stuff before this film came out, 
it's it's made me feel like this film is the setup for other stuff, not oh wow, this film is really good and actually it gives us the opportunity to tell more stories. Mm. That makes sense. But having said that, I do think a lot of the ideas that he had here are incredibly original. So hats off to him for that. I was really intrigued by the zombie hierarchy. So the idea of the alphas I thought was really interesting. But then there were other things that I was a bit like, whoa, okay. So the fact that the the virus came from um, Area 51 and that there's some alien experimentation, that there is an alien zombie baby, the fact that there might be a time loop, and then the idea... Uh, what? Oh, was it robot zombies? That's the other thing. Um, there's. It feels like there are a lot of different ideas that are all on the table here, of which all of them are not fully fleshed out and fully explained. Yeah, it's just too much. But then, conversely to that, I think the heist part of the film works really, really well. So I think it's a great heist movie. What do you think about that side of it? So I think if it was a straight up zombies in Las Vegas and it's a heist, it would have went really well. But when you add in robots and time loops and aliens and complicated bits of story, it it sort of unravels a little bit. Well, it doesn't unravel, it just sort of... It becomes a bit convoluted. Yeah, sort of, I lose the point in the middle. It becomes very Snyder in that it's a very, very busy narrative. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I, I completely agree with you on that front. Some bits to me did feel quite contrived. So the uh, uh, Gita, the the friend that went happened to go in the, to the to the city the night before, and then doesn't happen to be killed by by Zeus the Alpha Zombie, meaning that Dave Batista's character's daughter Kate needing to run off to save her, keeping them in Las Vegas just a little bit longer when they only have moments left before the place is about to be nuked. Some of that feels a little bit contrived to me and I had issue with that. I also think the film has a really weird concept of time. I don't know if you noticed, but they get the warning on TV that uh, 24 hours has been knocked off the countdown for Las Vegas being nuked. And at that point they have an hour to go. And then roughly six to seven minutes later, after they have an hour to go, Dave Batista says they've only got 20 minutes left until the place is dust. And then around 20 minutes after that, he says they've got roughly nine minutes left. And so the film lost all concept of time. And it just, I think the the gap between there's an hour to there's 20 minutes is supposed to be the time it took for them to be able to open the safe to get in. But it's not very well shown on screen that there's been a lapse in time. And then it, it feels like it runs almost real time for a little while after that because they have the they break into the vault, they get attacked, they then break out of the, the casino hotel and get onto the helicopter. And that happened, so like I just said, it happens in relatively real time, yet uh, it seems to take 20 minutes and then there's still nine minutes left until the bombs are about to drop. So I, I do, th- that kind of thing is slightly lazy to me and pulled me out of the film a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I just... Some of the sometimes these films like we've only got four minutes left and there's like twenty five minutes left on that scene. You think oh, it's... it's like when you're watching somebody trying to defuse a bomb. The countdown's like ten, nine, nine, ten, yeah. seven, four, six. Quick, <laughs> we've got to get out of the room. It took us three days to get into this room, but it's going to take us nine seconds to leave. Yeah, I know what you mean, and. I'm sure you could argue that I should really just suspend my disbelief because it's a zombie apocalypse, Las Vegas. But it just it 
a lot of the the ideas that are being laid here in terms of groundwork, I feel like are really obviously pointed at just a little bit too long. And because they highlight some of those details, it means that when something doesn't quite make sense, it drags me out. Yeah. So the time loop, for instance, I would that's a really clever idea, potentially that there's some kind of weird time loop going on. And that's it's the kind of thing that you could it's the water cooler thing. It's the, I watched this film. Did you think that this could happen? And then you talk about it with people and you theorize about it. But the reason that that plot point came up was it came up at the exact moment that the camera focused on a dead body in that corridor that was wearing a necklace that was a key. And then um, Anna de la Regrera's character, Maria, is then focused on in the next shot and she's wearing the same key necklace. So we're saying, could that be her body if she happened to die in this corridor, which she then does. And it's just like, instead of you hinting potentially at something that I can then go and theorize about, you just focused on it a little bit too much and lingered the camera on the details that mean that I've now perceived that. And that is a potential idea in this film. And it's it's like a really subtle nuance between an Easter egg or something that you can pick up on and something that the film is using its visual language to tell you that it wants you to think about. And I feel like this film told me what it wanted me to think about rather than me perceiving things that I then think about later. Yes, that was a lot. Was that a really long... Did I do that thing? You did that thing. Sorry. I've just, I completely faced out. I'm like, he's off. I'm gone. <laughs> My point was that... If you watch J.J. Abrams' first Star Trek film, that Romulan ship had Borg technology. Visually, it's there. It's never mentioned. It's not talked about. You can theorise that that's how that Romulan ship travelled back in time. In this film, they want you to think, is it a time loop? A man talks about a time loop, and then you see two different versions of what could be the same character wearing something which is very iconic on screen, which is exactly the same. So it tells you that that's what it wants you to think. It doesn't allow you to think it for yourself. Yeah, it just felt really unnecessary. But that being said, I really enjoyed it at the same time. I thought the zombie uh, makeup was really, really good. I thought there were some interesting attempts at comedy that didn't quite land, but did lighten the mood slightly. But overall, it was it was a, it was a solid film. It was just a little bit overlong with a little bit too much in it. Yeah, I would agree. I liked it. It was good. Would I watch it again? Probably not. No, I wouldn't. I'd probably go back to it. I would watch the sequel, prequel, sorry, that, that when it comes out. I will probably watch the anime series to see what it fleshes out, but I don't feel like this is a film that I need to go back to. No. It was all right. Yeah. So it's a solid Saturday afternoon film. Yeah. It is a... If you've not seen this and you're interested, go give it a watch. You'll enjoy it. But probably not much to take away from it other than that. Yeah. Anything else that you'd like to say on this one? No, I think you've said everything. <laughs> I've said enough and put us into a time loop. So Army of the Dead is available to stream now on Netflix. That's it for this week. Apart from our new feature. So you can do your little new feature noise again, like you did at the beginning, where we have a few recommendations for you for things to watch and read. So I have a couple of films to recommend. One, both of them are Shudder, actually. Uh, one is Fried Barry, which is an absolutely insane acid trip through the seedy underbelly of Cape Town uh, via the titular Barry, played by Gary Green, who is abducted by aliens at the start of the film, and when he is dropped back down to Earth, his body has been invaded by an alien who 
has never experienced human life before and you follow him around Cape Town as he experiences uh, quite a lot of sex, drugs and rock and roll for the first time. Interesting. I am also recommending another Shudder film called The Reckoning. This is not quite as successful as Fried Barry for me. It is a uh, kind of feminist tale set in the 1600s around witch trials. So uh, it's the time of the plague. Uh, Main character loses her husband and refuses the advances of one of the local villagers. And when she refuses that, he accuses her of being a witch and she is then tortured. She uh, ultimately is able to escape and survive her captors and it's kind of a feminist story but i don't feel like it quite lands but having said that i don't know any women who have watched it and i am really interested to know what uh, any female viewers think of this film and whether they feel it's as empowering as i think it's supposed to be so both fried barry and the reckoning are available to stream on shutter now I am also recommending a read, which is Boom Studios' wonderful little hardback edition of issues one to five of Wind by James Tynion IV. It is a wonderful little story that we've talked about on here before, and I've reviewed issues on the website. It is available in hardback now. You can also pick up issue six of the series, which is continuing with a brand new arc. Very good. Recommendations from you, Boy Wonder. Things to watch and read. Um... I like putting you on the spot. I don't know. I'm reading The Witcher at the minute. That's exciting. You've never read any of The Witcher books before? No, so I would recommend reading them. They're quite interesting. What other comics are you reading at the moment? That's about it, really. I mean, I've already told you about Nightwing. You reading Justice League? Play Justice League, yeah. How are you finding the Justice League dark at the back? Uh, I like that. I'm hoping it's going to get its own standalone issue, not be a couple a backup of story. pages at the back of a, another book. That's that's what I would recommend. Any TV watching that you re- can recommend at the moment? No, I'm not really watching anything at the minute. Dear, it's a bit sad. No. Any films that you've watched recently that you're excited about that people might not have seen? No. <laughs> oh dear. Well, that just leaves us to um, <laughs> wish you good health and good speed, and we'll 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 catch up with you in a couple of weeks. We've got some press screenings coming up, so this week we are going to see... In fact, by the time this podcast comes out, we will have been to see uh, Demon Hunter the movie, I will have seen The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It, and also A Quiet Place 2. So we will have those to talk about in the very, very near future. So until next time, bye! Bye!